on episode 66 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, Finding Your Motivation with Satori Prime. And in that moment, something just really clicked within a split second. I felt like a completely different person. Like I knew I was never going to be the same again. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Randy Lane. On today's podcast, we're talking with brothers Elon and Guy Ferdman. Together, they run a personal development and coaching company called Satori Prime. They've helped many people find their passion and motivation in life. We have them on the podcast to share their insights, tips, and tricks to how you can find your motivation. And now, here's my chat with Satori Prime. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to the podcast. Can you kind of introduce yourselves and give yourselves uh, some background into who you are? So uh, there's two of us. Our voice sound very, very similar because <laughs> we're brothers. So I'm Elon and my brother's Guy. We run a company called Satori Prime. And what we're passionate about is the transformation of people's lives. Uh, what that looks like is people actually living a life that they love full of love and fulfillment. So how did you guys get started in this? In my teen years, I'll just tell you what led to this decision. In my teen years, I was grappling with depression and suicide. And, you know, like, uh, I don't want to say typical, but uh, I'm sure if we if we went around, we'd find a lot of people are dealing with those things. And I carried that around for about seven years. Certain circumstances happened my sophomore year of college that led me to wanting to find help for the first time. If you had asked me during my teen years if I wanted help, I didn't. And it wasn't because I didn't want out of the trap. It looked to me like everyone else was happy mm-hmm. and that they had figured something out that I just could not figure out. And that made me feel stupid. So I was like angry that I couldn't figure this out. And going to get help from a professional seemed like being told the answer. And I'm like, I think I'm smart enough to figure out how to get there. So anyway, I wasn't, yeah. <laughs> as it turned out. And then about 18 years old, I find out about this program called Landmark Education. Some of your listeners, maybe yourself, even know what that is. It's been a program that's been around for, I'd say, like 50 or 60 years. I went about a year later because I was sitting in the kitchen with my parents having a conversation about my life. And I literally lost consciousness in the middle of the conversation. Hmm. And they had sent me to a, a doctor to go check out like EKGs and all that stuff. And, and I actually knew that I was physically okay. I also knew that I was dealing with a lot of stress in my life at that time, or at least perceived stress at that time. And it was the first time that that stress had manifested itself physically. And I knew exactly what was going on. So that scared me because I felt pretty out of control. And I asked about that class or this forum about a year later to my mother. And she told me that a friend of hers had done it from what she knew it was like life tools which sounded really hokey to me and kind of stupid, um, to be honest. Yeah, pretty stupid (laughs) at the time. And I really didn't know much. And there were a few things that happened in that classroom that really woke me up to some distinctions and phenomena that I just wasn't aware of, like at all. Like no one had ever discussed it for me and never came up at school, never came up in conversation. It was just like this blind spot gray area of life that people just don't talk about. And I was in Boston when I took this class and I had a 15 minute walk back from the center back to this uh, hour long ride subway. And they had talked about a, uh, a simple concept that the mind basically creates, like we had the, the facts, like what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And then we have like the story we kind of tell ourselves. 
And the mind does this so seamlessly that we don't notice it. Now, the issue is we don't live the facts. We live the story. And I had been living into this story for a long time. And my story was bad things happen to good people. And mm -hmm. that was uh, predicated off an event of watching a best friend's father die from a battle of cancer when I was around 13 years old. And that just became my context for living. So everything that was bad in my life was proof for that. And that's how we do it, right? We, we like build up all this evidence and it becomes so real to us. And that's that was my world for about seven years. So I'm walking down these subway stairs and this this story about my friend's father, his name was Kenny, is like placating in my head, playing over and over again. And I keep wondering to myself, I'm like, could it be true that I made all this up? And it just never even dawned on me that that was a consideration, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm walking down these stairs and I had what part of the reason we call the company Satori Prime, I had what's known as a Satori moment. I had like a moment of enlightenment. And in that moment, what occurred to me was a choice that I had never been aware of before. And that choice was that here's the story that I can I can get to give up if I want to, or I could hold on to it. But holding on to it was very clear to me what the results were. And in that moment, something just really clicked, and my foot came off the stairs. And like by the time it came down the next stair, like within a split second, I felt like a completely different person. Like I knew I was never going to be the same again. Huh. And I just got on that subway, and you know my body started kind of like shaking and vibrating because there was just this like in today's language I would call it like a spiritual release, like energy space got created. That was it. From there, I was just hooked into this kind of work because I was like a completely different person after that. If you were to see me on Friday and I was a 300 pound man, by Saturday evening, I was 150 pounds. Like that much stuff fell off of me and and everyone just took notice and no one could really understand what had happened. And I guess you call it spiritual awakening. You could call it being a rebirth. Like so much different terminology for this kind of stuff. But for me, it was just a choice and, and all this happened. And after that, like everyone around me started going because no one could figure out what the hell happened to me. <laughs> And it was just like, I don't know what happened either. I'm like, but this is the place that it happened. So you should go check it out too. And that just started Elon and I down the path because within a few months, he, he started doing work also. And we immediately had a vision because it made such a big impact on the two of us of like a world that had these distinctions, a world that was aware of these phenomenons, a world that was just more aware and spiritually enlightened and all these different things. Of course, that came down the line with all the terminology and education we've had for 15 years now. But that's really what got the ball moving. So you kind of took some of the lessons you learned in this class and you expounded upon them and created your own type of system. Is that right? Yeah, we've been just living, you know, we started this process in 2003. At the time, we weren't really doing anything with this education as a business. It was just something that we fell in love with. We ended up coaching I don't know, hundreds, if not thousands of people for, for free, just because we were, we were both doing really, really well. We were in finance, making a killing. And this was just a way for our soul to kind of grow and, and feel fulfilled and things like that. And when we lost everything in 2010, my smart brother was like, hey, so we're <laughs> broke. I'm living with my parents. I know you're not paying your mortgage payments. How about we start a business? <laughs> I, I didn't say all that, but all that was in the background. Yeah, we were like, okay, what would we do? This is what we just love. I mean, I, I purely believe like we were put on this earth to fulfill this mission. Mm -hmm. uh, our mission is to transform 100 million people's lives, at least for a start. And then... Yeah, that that's when Satori Prime kind of came to be. So Elon, tell me when when Guy was going through his situation, how did that go? Uh, did you see him change? And that's what caused you to say, oh, this is something that's real and empowering or? So I was a senior in college and Guy was a sophomore. We're two years apart. It was Sunday morning. It was around noon. And I had one of those like super old cell phones that you have to like pull the <laughs> out of and all that stuff. And I get a phone call at noon. I'm like, who's calling me so early? <laughs> college. <laughs> I hear his voice and he said, hello. And I started crying. Mm. It was like hearing my brother's voice from when he was 12 again, 
like he didn't have to tell me what he did there or what happened there. I could just hear that something massive happened. And at the time, I mean, it's still our favorite movie, but at the time we had just seen Fight Club not too long ago. I was trying to figure out what happened, like how in a span of two and a half days, seven years of everything just disappears. And his response was like, look, I, it's so hard for me to explain. And he's like, remember when I saw Fight Club and I was like, you just have to go see this movie so we can actually speak about it because I can't even explain to you what it is. He's like, it's kind of like that and even more so. And I knew at the time he's going to need someone to talk to. So as soon as I got out of school, I, I went as soon as I got home. And here's the funny part, like, <laughs> and this is what I, I really think this is important for people to understand, because like a lot of people come to us and they're like, I need this. I need this. And the answer is no one needs anything. Like you don't need to study personal development. You don't need to learn how you operate. You don't need to anything. And it's incredibly powerful and useful. So when I was going to do Landmark, they called me and they were like, you know, what do you want to work on? I was like, I got nothing to work on. I was dating the girl of my dreams at the time. I graduated college with honors. I was going into law school. Like truly everything in my life was just humming along. And so my brother and my dad, who had both done it at the time, were like, we honestly don't even know what you're going to get out of it. And it blew my world open. I had a very similar moment to Guy where I was driving down the Garden State Parkway in New Jersey and like trees all of a sudden became neon green, like mid drive. And I was like, what is happening? I, did I like put something in my coffee this morning? I couldn't understand. Ever since, you know, like seeing the impact that these kind of conversations can have when someone's living from a place of love and is peaceful and they're not blaming everything and everyone or being a victim and they're actually living a life on purpose. It's mm. the most magical thing. And to know that you can even do that through having a conversation with someone is is just incredible. And so for the last 15 years, we've just been experientially tapping into all of these different things and all forms of education and different programs, seminars, coaches. We are just seekers. I think our gift is the ability to take really large, somewhat complicated concepts for people to understand and give it to them in a way that's very practical. I don't want you guys to give away the secret sauce, obviously, but can you give some people some tips, some things they can try today on the podcast right now that we can give to our sure. listeners? Sure. I'll say <laughs> secret sauce. You know, uh, <laughs> spirituality and development is a lot like dancing with people. No two people dance the same dance the same way, right? It's like mm -hmm. finding your own rhythm, finding your own truth. I don't want even everything else right now, I want to make sure that we have a context that this is like a perspective and the perspectives we've learned when applied have shown different types of truth to different types of people. And the thing that I really see stops people really early on is an inability to be responsible. And I think that's for most entrepreneurs, they know like you got to take responsibility, you got to take responsibility and notice how knowing that doesn't change your life. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, some of the work we do really early on with people is like showing people that through language, there's a certain way that the, the mind and the body gets uh, programmed. And language said another way is just a, a bunch of different distinctions, right? We declare things a certain way ways that we distinguish one from another. And there are things in language that even though they might seem distinct to us in our experience, they actually occur as collapsed. So for instance, responsibility is one of these areas of life that has a lot of collapse and responsibility gets collapsed with other things. And specifically to the detriment of people, responsibility often gets collapsed with blame. So if we look at like the political arena, we look at mostly how things occur in your life. When you have an ability to take responsibility, we often like get defensive or we don't do it because the experience is like, I'm blaming myself and I don't want to blame myself. Mm -hmm. So we see this in the political arena all the time. Something goes wrong. 
and it becomes a switch hunt. Okay, well, who to blame? Who to blame? Who to blame? Whether or not we find that person, notice that when even when we do, that changes nothing about politics. It just hums along just the way it always has. In fact, the the vibration of blame, shame, guilt, and all the things that happen when you blame yourself are literally the lowest vibrations that a human can experience. So if you want to like nail your foot to the ground and stay exactly where you are, use the energy of shame, blame, and guilt, and I promise you no forward momentum in your life. So I want to distinguish blame and shame from responsibility. So some people will say it's the ability to respond, but more succinctly, Ilana and I say, responsibility is your willingness. So meaning like you get to participate if you want, your willingness to see yourself at the source of everything that's happening in your life, okay? Whether that's true or not. So like, let's say Elon and I have an argument. In the model that we see in the world, in the responsibility blame model, we could call that like a 50-50 participation model. Elon participates in 50% of the relationship, I participate in 50% of the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Now him and I have an argument. Inside a 50-50 model, notice how when when we all argue with one another or we have opinions or we get defensive and we opine back and forth and then someone gets upset, Now, both parties are upset. Now, what are both parties waiting for? Hey, yeah, well, when they come take responsibility and they say, sorry, okay, then, then I'll do that thing. Mm -hmm. Now, what are they saying to themselves? The same thing, right? So you have this stalemate in communication, and then you have these massive breakdowns in integrity and responsibility. And before you know it, it's like, you're not talking to dad or mom for like 20, 30 years because of some silly thing that happened over dinner one night or whatever. And the model that we teach, again, responsibility, willingness to be at source. So it's not a 50-50 model. That means all the responsibilities here with me, 0% with them. 100 over here, 0 over there. Now, to some people, that sounds crazy. And I'll even give you an example that's still going to be like, how does that work? But one of the guys that we worked with, he had an agreement with his wife that no matter what happened, no matter what argument they had, he would always be the first to apologize. Mm -hmm. Now, to a lot of people who are operating from 50-50 model, that sounds like he's giving something up. And notice how addicted we, I'll say we, but you, probably the listener, are to being right about stuff. Like, I got to be right about this thing. And now I want you to notice on the opposite side of that, what do you give up for being right? So your vitality, your connection, communication, well-being, like everything you want out of life, simply just to be right about. In his 100-0 understanding, he saw that if he came and apologized for whatever happened, even if he's right, or even if he thinks he's right, because nobody's truly ever right, we just think we are. Even if he thinks he's right, to people, that's like he's giving something up. But really, in a 100-0 model, he gets to source the joy and happiness in his relationship all the time. Because when there's a smile on his wife's face, when they're communicating, when they're having great sex and all that stuff, guess what he gets to have inside? <laughs> I, sor- I sourced that. I created that. Well, I do that and with that, my wife, too. Totally. Just because I totally. don't want to be, I want to have a, a good life, happy wife, yep. happy life, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and I would say, like, you know, that teeters on the edge of a little bit of a disempowering conversation. It's like, oh, I have to abide by her rules or things won't work out. This isn't really like accessing a different level of communication between two parties. But yeah, absolutely. If you're willing to like check your ego at the door and like give up that it matters to be right about something, being right about what, who cares that he gets to be like, yeah, like, you know, I'm going to source the joy and love in my relationship, no matter what. That's a commitment I want to be part of. I do also find myself sometimes in disagreements. You look back and you go, what was it even about? And then when you actually find the source, you say it was such a tiny, insignificant thing. And we got so worked up about it. I think we use here at 360 Solutions when we teach is a concept called fundamental attribution error, which means that we judge others on their actions, but we want people to judge us on our intent. And so if Mm. we we try and think from that way, well, what did that person intend? So even if it didn't look like it came out the right way or they were mean or whatever, was that their intent? So always trying to see the intent of the matter. You want to hear something crazy about that? That 
So someone that I worked with basically told me this line, which is you can't ever see the way people are. Mm -hmm. You can only see the way you are in other people. And so when we're trying to formulate what someone's intent is, each human being is designed a very specific way. And so whereas you walk into a room, for example, and it's a party and you will go around and say hi to all these people and shake their hands, et cetera, because that's your personality. Okay. Mm -hmm. Another person comes and say they're very like task oriented person. Right. So their whole thing is like, I'm going to go from A to B and anything that's in my peripheral, I'm not even aware of. It's not that they're doing it on purpose. They're just not aware. So like for a person that walks into a room is like, be friendly with everybody, et cetera, et cetera. When they see someone that that person kind of walks by them and doesn't quote unquote, say hi to them or acknowledge them. What are we thinking? They're We're not thinking like, oh, their intent is, you know, to go get this for someone. You're thinking that their intention is like your intention. Because you would only do that if you were trying to snub someone or like purposely avoid someone. Mm -hmm. Where in their world, that's not the case at all. And this is exactly what guy was talking to. Like this is where stuff happens. Because we make that person not shaking our hand mean something mm. instead of that person didn't shake my hand. That's all that happened. We make it mean because through our filter, it's like I only do that when I'm pissed off at people. Or remind you of somebody who did that before, right? And yeah. you're like transposing those characteristics yeah. right away. Mm -hmm. And so intention is sometimes can be like a, a little bit of a dangerous thing because you're only going to ever see intention through your filter of mm. life. Truly the only way to ever know, and this sounds so simple and none of us do it or very, very rarely, right? Like you'll be in a situation and you'll have this thought like, oh, I think so-and-so is mad at me or I think so-and-so is avoiding me or whatever. How often do you actually go to that person and be like, hey, so I've just kind of been feeling this like uneasiness. Did something happen? Like, did I do something or not do something? How often do we do that? Mm -hmm. Hardly ever. Yeah. What instead we do is we go and we let this brain make up a whole bunch of stories like, a professional movie is written in your head and 10 <laughs> seconds, 10 minutes later, you're like furious at this person and you don't even know why anymore. <laughs> and then at some point, like you don't talk to them, this and that. And we just check in mm -hmm. like you have a thought, you know, so me, me and Guy have an agreement. Obviously, we're brothers. We started a business when literally we had nothing like I was on unemployment checks. Guy had to sell his car and move in with my parents. It wasn't great. And like we had to, we were dealing with a lot of stuff. And so our agreement always is, and it's developed through the years, right? To be in communication with one another, not in monologue with ourselves about the other person, but actually be in communication with the other person. And if something doesn't sit well, you voice it. And you don't voice it like you did this to me. You voice it like I'm feeling or I'm, experiencing nope. mm -hmm. this and this and this is this what you you were intending we're humans right like we do silly stuff and we do silly stuff to people that we love because you know you woke up and you're in a bad mood or you're tired or you maybe had a, too many glasses of wine the night before and we don't know this stuff and so something happens and instead of making stuff up and like letting it fester and fester and fester till it eventually blows up which how usually people operate our commitment is to communicate and when you communicate First of all, the other person is generally unaware that their oh, yeah. that their way of being is affecting you in any way, shape, or form. They're like two in their head. Mm -hmm. So now we have an understanding where it's like, 
you know, our commitment, like I said, is 100 million people's lives. If one of us is feeling that day or upset or whatever, like, I don't know about you listening, but I've never been able to manifest anything wonderful in my life when I've been feeling ever. The only time good stuff happens in my life is when I feel really, really good. And so if our commitment is to that and our commitment is for others and global impact and things like that, what are we possibly going to create if there's like uneasiness or upset or this and that? It's energy, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what you're putting out in the world. It's just not going to do anything. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by 360 Solutions. Are you ready to work for yourself as a business consultant? 360 Solutions can give you everything you need to start, build, and run your own practice. In our 20 years in business, we've helped hundreds of people just like you live a fulfilling life developing organizations and leaders in your area. Visit 360 Solutions to learn more or come to one of our high-performance organization workshops. We're hosting them in Austin, Texas and Yosemite National Park this November. Find out more at 360hpworkshops.com. That's 360hpworkshops.com. So how do you deal with maybe the opposite of that? So you're aware that other people are thinking things of you. What if you're curating your existence too much and trying to think about what people may be thinking about how you're acting towards them? That's great. Yeah, I, I think you have to look at humans. We, we are we're very funny. We we actively do a lot of stuff to gain attention. Right. Mm -hmm. Then somebody gives it to us. They compliment you. They acknowledge you. And I don't know about you guys. I don't see the world going like, oh, yes, shower me with praise. I'm so glorious. It's mostly like you get what you want and then you like shrink you like you're not worthy of what people are telling you. I've said for a long time that I believe the number one disease on the planet is not heart disease or any of these other things that they tell us they're not even cancer. It's a lack of self-worth. Every person I know has had some kind of traumatic event between three and seven years old where they deduced in some way, shape or form. And they, you know, they, they verbalize it to themselves in different ways, but it's like, I'm no good or I'm a loser. I'm stupid. You know, nobody loves me, all these different things. But really what it means is like, I don't love myself. Like that's the moment where like self-love falls out. We spend a lifetime trying to create circumstances or having the illusion of creating circumstances that make us feel loved, right? That's why we buy all the stuff that we buy and we feel good for like a second a week later it's like oh feel right back the same way i did before noticing starting putting awareness on the things that drive you in order to gain attention to say something about who you are as far as really how you feel about yourself in every way that you're complete about something like if you no longer make being angry wrong you no longer make sad you know being sad wrong you can get complete with all this stuff most people like approach work like uh sadness is wrong i have to overcome it Fear is wrong. I have to overcome it. Guys, guess what? It's built into the biology, into the DNA. Hmm. Unless you have little chisels that can go into your DNA and like pluck those things out, built in. So your options are to either fight, like, you know, add resistance and whatever you resist, you push against the opposite equal force. It persists. It goes nowhere. Or you can start building relationships with these different mechanisms and actually start seeing the value that you get from each and every one of them. Because ultimately being sad, being angry, being happy, all these emotions we have are just data points. It's your environment is sending something off. You're getting data through your body as what we call what we're calling emotions. But it literally tells you like, this doesn't feel good for me. Okay, well, then don't be there, right? Like that, that's your feedback. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about this kind of stuff about like removing yourself from 
people's opinions and stuff like that, the only reason you would even look for validation out there is because that's not being self-validated. And sometimes even after we've self-validated, the programming, like the doing, doing, doing is so programmed to the brain that we keep taking those actions that we're like, why am I still doing this? Mm -hmm. I find myself doing stuff like that all the time. What I would just say is like the inner work is the way to change the outer world where most people are trying to like change the outer world so they can feel different inside, but they never actually feel different on the inside. What I want to say is like, there's nothing wrong about you. There's nothing wrong about the way anybody's really operating. I think spirituality and personal development gives you different paradigms and different ways of beings to operate from so that you can choose freely when you want to enter like an archetype and then leave that when you find the limitation, go, that actually doesn't work for me in this situation in my life. How else do I get to operate? And I think that's what makes it interesting is like bringing that childhood enthusiasm to everyday life. So you're like, oh, what can I learn today? Who can I be today? What do I get to create now? Where we stop doing that, where most people stop doing that. And it's like life gets boring. And that's why it gets so mundane and people want to settle down. And this is the way that it is and blah, blah, blah. And all this bullshit that you tell yourself when it's like, no, life is this unlimited infinite potential you know, experience. And it's just opening yourself up to all that. I had to really heighten my awareness and really look and and like mess it up a lot you know like a lot a lot and every little time it's like chipping away at the rack like oh wow i didn't notice that and oh wow i didn't notice i do this in my relationships but it's like after a long period of time yeah my old me still shows up in ways like i can't say i deal with depression anymore or suicide but it's like i still get angry you know i like those those responses are still there because there's a part of you like an archetype within our our biosystem that wants to protect you. Like the mind is built for safety and protection, right? That's why we're here breathing and alive. And yet there's so many times where it protects you, where it's just, it's sensing something scary, but nothing scary is really going on. And it's kind of like going within yourself over and over again. And as these protection mechanisms go like, holy holy you're like, everything's fine. Just like the way you talk to like a four-year-old and like bring that gentleness and be like, everything's fine. You're completely safe. Like I'm I'm allowing and wanting this experience to feel this thing. And it's like, and then you start experiencing emotionally, like that there's this huge wide range of emotions that most people are not allowing themselves to experience. And it's why they can't manifest for sure. I mean, men are programmed around two emotional things, anger, right? Mm-hmm. And happiness. That's pretty much it. And it's like, if you're not happy, then I'm going to be angry. If I'm not angry, then I'm probably happy. And it's like, okay, what about the rest of the range of empathy that you could have? And women are, you know, in a completely different range. And that's why we, we find a lot of times people can't properly communicate because like men are talking out of two paradigms and women have access to a lot more but all of us can train ourselves for that absolutely so you're saying also like you need to build up your own self-worth so that if you don't get the inputs that had validated you before you're still going to feel like you have some worth yep look i think wayne dyer was the one that said it. i'm sure other people said it before him but if he gave you an orange and you were to squeeze that orange it doesn't matter what device you use how expensive or cheap or anything it is you're squeezing that thing you get orange juice and so as a human being, you know, when we get pushed and prodded and poked and people are pushing your buttons, like there's only what is in you can come out of you. And so when you are filled with love, truly like self-love, then the outside world doesn't have that same impact on you. Sadly, though, human beings, you know, we, we've been trained by our parents, by teachers, by family, you know, what it means to be accepted, what it means to be loved, what it means to be, to belong be supported. Every human being has a different experience, right? And so 
you find a groove of where you get acceptance. For some of us, it's being smart. For some of us, it's being funny. For some of us, it's being quirky. For some of us, it's making a ton of money. It's like the ego just drives it because it just knows, okay, this is where I get love. The issue becomes, you know, a lot of the people that we coach have been very, very successful financially. And then they get to this, you know, mountain that they set in front of them. They get there and they go, wow, well, this feels rather empty. (laughs) And, you know, then they look back at the journey and like, okay, two messed up marriages. I don't even know who my kids are anymore. I'm 100 pounds overweight. I got here. I have the money. Now what? Like this sucks. And they feel even worse because of everything that they sacrificed. And then they realize like, this doesn't mean anything. And someone that's doing it for a different reason, like someone asked me this weekend, they, they want to start a business. And they were like, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that. And it was all about money. And I was like, you're not there. Like if, if you ask me to coach you, I just say like, you're not there yet. I know for someone when the drive inside of them, the passion inside of them is to accomplish, to, to create something. And that's it. That's the drive. Like I must create this thing, whether it's a movement or a piece of literature or art or music. And it's like, I will spend my life till my last breath making this happen. And I don't care about the money and the accolades and all that stuff. Like that person is unstoppable, unstoppable. And it's a big, big difference when you're living from that place than the ego place, which is like, I'm going to do this because then people will accept me and love me and like me, which is just false. Right. So a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs, people that are starting businesses, starting their own consulting firms and things like that. And you talked a little bit about that. You know, if you have that passion, you will be more successful than if you're just chasing after money. Do you have any other advice for people that are trying to start their own businesses? Yeah, absolutely. I think the reason Guy and I reach the level of success that we have, we it's funny, we do everything a little bit backwards. So a lot of entrepreneurs, what happens, they like, they get sick of their job, right? You know, I'm not doing this for the boss anymore. And then they wake up and they're like, okay, I'm going to start this project. And then within a few months, you know, making the transition from employee to someone who has your own business is massive. And you quickly realize, oh my God, I really got to work on my mindset. Like Mm -hmm. I can't do this on my own. And so Guy and I did everything backwards. So we did the whole mindset stuff. Then we're like, okay, now let's build a business. I think the biggest shift that one could make is recontextualizing a conversation around fear. Whenever you start anything new, it could even be a new language or a new sport or a new workout. I don't care what it is that you start. A business is obviously like one of the most transformational things you can experience in your life. What you're going to be met with is confusion, overwhelm, and fear. As a human being, if you actually look at your life, every time you generated a new ability, a new level of confidence in your life, you had to go through something that you were originally afraid of. And that fear, like I said, it may have shown up as I'm just confused or I'm overwhelmed or whatever it is. And so once you start looking at that and you're going, okay, wow, every time I've conquered one of my fears, I have felt limitless. Superman, right afterwards, you feel so alive and so amazing. So we were like, okay, well, what if every time we had a fear, we would just run towards it? Then the guide becomes... What am I afraid of? Like what scares the crap out of me today? And you just go and do that because your fear, it's like if you can imagine that you live in an electric, an electrocuted box, you know, like you don't see the actual fence, but you feel it. 
<laughs> you definitely feel it, right? Like every one of you, when you've taken some sort of leap or action in your business, you get zapped. Now, guess what? In order to create a new ability, in order to expand that box, you got to get really comfortable with experiencing that little bit of discomfort. And sometimes maybe it's a lot of discomfort, but just staying in that feeling and being okay with it. More than that, being like, okay, now what? Where's that next boundary? Where's that next boundary? You just find yourself doing incredible things because while everyone else is quaking in their pants, running in the other direction, you're like, I'm just gonna go for this. And this is why I say money is not a good enough factor. Mm -hmm. You won't withstand the pain for money. You'll withstand the pain when what you want to accomplish is as, I mean, to use that cliche, like it's as important to you as breathing. You'll just do anything and it won't matter what people tell you or how crazy they think you are or anything like that. Cause you know that your driver is innate and it's internal. Mm -hmm. And that for us, I think like it's the reason we've been able to build a business so quickly. I'm assuming you guys work with similar people like we do where they look at you and they say, since you figured it out, tell me the stuff that's going to hurt and it's going to be painful so I can avoid it. And a lot of times you have to say, no, you just have to go through it. Is that a Absolutely. situation you run into a lot? Always. Yeah, I, I think so. Look, uh, any any educator, I think there's two kinds of educators. There's the ones that just tell you what to see. And then there's the ones that show you where to look. The ones that show you where to look are generally the ones that I would want to work with. And again, for the same reason, like I think with what Elon is talking about, we all have love languages. There's books on these things and and there's avoidance, like pain, like uh, pain avoidance languages. So for somebody who grew up, let's say around parents who at some point became bankrupt or broke. And in that moment, while they were upset, they decided like, that's never going to be me. Money for that person is motivation factor enough for pain avoidance their entire life. They will probably become ultra wealthy. And you can find a lot of ultra wealthy people who will track back those kind of like old memories. Now, none of us can choose our programming or the experience that we came here for. And I think we, whatever experiences we're having, like we chose those before we got here and they are our perfect experiences. Business is, we call that success, which is a weird thing that we have like taken the world of success and drawn it into the world of business. And yet I think business is a really good measuring stick for personal growth because there's not a lot of things that we get to look at in life and say, hey, how am I doing? Right. Like we look at our health and like your BMI and your your weight, which, again, are not always the best indicators of success when it comes to health. You could look at how you feel about your relationships when you're around people. But how do you quantify that? Like my my general feeling around this person, you know, like that's hard to quantify. But a business has you quantify your output and your input. And you're going to quickly find out that there's a huge correlation between how you show up every day and the velocity at which your business grows or doesn't. One of the things I will say personally that I feel like integrity really matters and not matters like a moral issue, matters like a workability issue. We often use an example of like a bicycle wheel with spokes. And it's like when the bicycle wheel has all its spokes, that wheel has integrity, that wheel gets to spin with you know the least amount of resistance. Every time you take out integrity of stuff, it's like pulling a spoke out of that wheel. Wheel is gonna spin, but requires more effort because there's these flat spots. Eventually you pull out enough integrity flat wheel, don't move, right? And, and if you look at life, for me, life can be easily perceived through relationships. It's like a relationship to self, relationship to God, relationship to finances, it's all relationships. You wanna study yourself, study yourself around relationships. So you have a relationship to money, that's gonna hurt your business. But you might have a relationship to your father too, you know, like, that guy. And you don't realize how much has to do with every time you get on the phone with somebody who reminds you of your father or is an authoritative figure and you can't communicate because you lose all your power every time that happens. So it's like people like look for these like really linear ways to try to get to places when it's like you have no idea what's really holding you back from taking action in this area of life. 
and it might have been going on for 30 years, but it's like a blind spot. And you think that that's not impacting your life. But if you're on a highway and there's a car next to you, whether or not you can see that car in your blind spot, you turn that wheel and you go into that lane, boom, you got yourself an accident. Whether or not you know it's there. For me, personal development, spiritual work, raising awareness, consciousness is really another way of saying like, I see what I could not see before. Now I have a choice to make. I think a lot of people throw integrity out the window because they that's been like the programming around a business for a long time. But that's shifting too. Think about CEO megastars today like Elon Musk and the Zuckerbergers of the world. That used to be like the Rockefeller, right? Like stomp on everything, kill and pillage and take. And that was like, yay, that was capitalism. Now it's like philanthropy. I think if integrity is not part of the equation, you're going to do things things that have to do with manipulation that have to do with possibly like things that you know are wrong even even if nobody else knows that you're doing them you know that you're doing it and that might give you some short-term gain where you feel really good about it people that i've known that have done that a few things end up happening either the business goes down as quickly as it went up because there's nothing to hold it it's like a deck of cards right a house of cards and if you have that long-term vision you're like you know what integrity matters more to me than anything i want to feel good every day when i wake up i want to feel good every day when i go to bed i would take the smaller incremental growth than the meteoric stuff that tends to not last anyway and i would rather build a business over 10 years that i can be proud of than a business that a lot of people in the short term and then puts me in jail. And I kind of see how that's gone on for a lot of people. I'm so happy Elon and I get to wake up every morning. Like I'm energized by what I get to do with people every single day. I'm telling you, like I, maybe it's hard to believe. I can't tell you that money is not important to me. It puts food on the table. It allows for a particular lifestyle, choices and options that clearly I would not have without it. I don't want it to be the primary focus. And also any business is about that relationship with integrity to your customer. So having that idea in your mind that you're going to act with integrity and in all things is going to probably cause you to have a more successful business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that goes for whether people can see you or not. Like I, I believe in life, like the moments where people aren't watching are the times you really got to be like on your game with your integrity. And again, not a moral issue, right? It, this is just like I said before, this is a way of looking at things. It is not the truth. It's not that integrity is important or matters and people that without integrity are wrong. It's like everyone measures integrity differently. When you are talking about workability, specifically in a business, it's where I believe it's really important. Well, if people want to find you, what are ways to get in touch with you? Yeah, I'll give you a few resources for us. Obviously, satoriprime.com. It's a S-A-T-O-R-I-P-R-I-M-E.com. Also, we've just put out recently a like a 10-part personal development mini masterclass. It's app-based, web-based, and iOS and Android. You can go to uh, appapp.satoriprime.com. And that way you guys can kind of get a taste of uh, our training and, and the tech people we work with. And that's totally free. Yeah, and that's totally free. And then honestly, like it hasn't mattered how big our company has gotten. Elon and I really do take the time to get to like as many people personally as we possibly can. Just do a search. You'll, you'll find us, I promise you. If you have any you know personal questions you want to ask us, uh, by all means, feel free. Excellent. I'll put all the pertinent information also in the show notes so everyone can find it there. I thank you guys very much for coming on today. I think it's been really enlightening and I hope everyone else finds it interesting as well. Brilliant. Thanks for having us on. Thank you all for right. the space. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.